All right, Roy Jr., you guys can go to Braden out in the back there. Thank you, James and Jennifer, for sharing. It was really awesome to see um, the, uh, the vision statement that is written as a prayer, um, which is really cool. Asking God for 190,000 disciples is something only God can do, which is incredible. Um, so let's, uh, let's go to Mark chapter 1. We're going to finish the chapter tonight. Um, I know we've been in there for a while, and I'll be honest, I wrestled um, with whether to uh, turn these verses into two sermons because they're just so good. Um, I'm really excited about these uh, verses, and, uh, and I want to dive in together with you. Um, first, I have a few questions. Is, uh, do we have any night owls in the room? Any people who just love the evenings? A few of you. What about morning people? The re- so the rest of you are just daytime people. <laughs> um, yeah, you're like, I don't like nights and I don't like mornings. Um, I'm, a, I'm a morning person. I love mornings. Uh, I think there's something super special about mornings um, uh, from the sunrise. But even before that, um, just I could go on and on about how incredible mornings are. The benefits of rising early are numerous. Um, and in fact, Jesus rose early. And that's something that I want us to consider tonight, is that Jesus rose early. We need to think about it. We need to contemplate it um, and ask ourselves some questions. But I think there's some tendency in all human beings, whether you're a morning person or a night person, there's tendency for us to to love sleep too much and to be lazy. Uh, And sometimes um, we just, we, uh, I think we are seized by the warm and coziness of the bed. It kind of captures us. We don't want to get out. We don't want to exercise any, any self-discipline and get out. Um, but when we, when we do that, we let um, our flesh rob us of time with the Lord, right? Um, and so uh, in Proverbs, we know that uh, we're told that a lazy person makes excuses, wastes time, hates to work, loves to stay in their bed, and they go nowhere. Oftentimes, they consider themselves wise when they're actually fools. And as followers of Christ, we know that there is no room for laziness. Uh, we need to be like Jesus. We need to be disciplined. We need to rise early, uh, as the text we're going to read tonight says. And we, we know Jesus did work in the evening and in the morning. And so not bashing on night owls at all because the Lord works. He never stops working, which is a beautiful thing. Um, and so... Uh, I'm going to tell you where we're going before we get there. So if you like taking notes, then this is for you, all right? Uh, Last week, we saw the power of the king through verses 29 through 34. And tonight, as we finish up the first chapter, we're going to see, and you are welcome for the alliteration. I didn't even have to reach hard for this. This was like right there in the text, okay? This is the the prioritization of prayer in verses 35 to 37, the proclamation of the gospel in verses 38 through 39, the pleading of the unclean, verse 40, and then the pity of the king in verses 41 through 45. And so there's your outline for the text. I'm going to pray over the word before we read it together. So let's pray. Father, we do ask tonight that you would satisfy us with your word. We are desperate for your word. Oh God, we, we don't know what we don't know, and so we ask for you to teach us. What we don't see we ask for you to show us. And what we have not heard, we ask for you to help us to listen. What we do not understand, would you please, through the power of your Holy Spirit, 
grant to us clarity. Where we lack faith, give us trust. Oh Lord, where we have not been humble, I pray that you would remove the pride in our lives. Father, that we would bow our knee before you and acknowledge that you are King, Jesus. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 35. This is God's word. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand, touched him, and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. I think it's important for us to acknowledge that Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 34, is one day. It's just one single day in the entire three years of Jesus' ministry, right? And he packed a ton into one day. Uh, Just as a quick recap, if you can remember, if you look at the text in verse 21, you remember it was the Sabbath day. Jesus entered the synagogue and he's teaching and, um, and he's interrupted by an unclean spirit. And then he cast him out. And immediately he leaves the synagogue. He enters the house of Simon and Andrew. And it's been already a long day. They're going to get some, some food, okay, get some um, nourishment. And he's encountered with Simon's mother-in-law who's sick with a fever. Jesus heals her instantly. So news spreads throughout the town. Jesus' authority is unlike anything they've ever heard before. His teaching, he's casting out demons. He's healing, he's healing the sick. And so people start to come. It says that, at, at the evening, at sundown, that people about the whole city came to this house. Now, we know that the whole city could not fit inside of Peter's house, okay? And so they're at the door. And I'm sure that Jesus didn't go to the door amongst the crowds of people, which he could have, because we know how powerful he was. He didn't go to the door, and he didn't say, you're all healed. Go away. Peace. Have a good night, right? He could have done that, but he did not do that, right? And how do we know that he didn't do that? Because Luke records the same scene in his gospel in Luke chapter 4, verse 40. It says, now when the sun was setting, all of those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. He laid his hands on every single one of them and healed them. Every single person who came to Jesus got an individual touch by Jesus, So this has been a super long night of ministry. Jesus is definitely tired, right? He's physically exhausted, emotionally, mentally drained. If you've ever taught anything anywhere, you know that it's draining, okay? Takes a lot of brain power. With all of this context in mind, read verse 35 again. Rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And so 
As I read that, I asked myself a few questions, okay? They all start with a W for help. What, when, where, what again, and why? Hmm. Yeah, Harry, you're, you're curious. What is this verse? What does this one verse teach us about Jesus, right? He's tired. He's sleeping. It's been a long day. It shows us his humanity, right? But he deliberately decides to get out of the bed in the morning. He had some self-discipline. He didn't waste time. He didn't love the bed. He got out of the bed before everybody else did. And when did he do it? It says that he rose early before the sun came up. So it's still dark outside. Where does he go? He left the house so he wouldn't be a distraction to anybody else. No, they were sleeping. He left the house because he knew that they would wake up and he would be distracted. So he went off to a desolate place, to a solitary place to focus. And what was he doing by himself? He went out to hang out with the Father. This is Jesus we're talking about. As we've already seen in this gospel, Mark has been very clear. This is the Son of God. This is the Lord. This is the Savior. This is the Sovereign One who has power over the supernatural. He has power over nature. And he goes away from everything and everyone so that he can be with the Father. You know, when I get home from a long day of work, my boys run up to me and they're excited to see me and they want to tell me what they did during the day. They want to show me what they made, what they colored, what they learned, right? Show me what they did. Tell me what they did. Mark doesn't tell us what Jesus was praying. Perhaps he was just talking to the Father about all that happened yesterday. Perhaps he was talking about the disciples that he called to himself. And he's talking about, you're gonna, I'm going to need some help here, Lord, with Peter and with Andrew and, and, and John and, and James and and. Thank you so much for showing all the power that you showed and you displayed through your word and through your servant. And help me to focus on the mission. Because today, there's going to be a lot of distractions. We don't know what he prayed. But last question, why? Why would Jesus get up before the sun? Why would he go off to a, a place by himself? Right. So we might not know what he prayed, but we do know why. Hebrews 5, 7 through 8 says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. So I believe, if you can take notes on this, I believe that there's seven things that we can see. Seven good reasons why Jesus would go off by himself and pray. Number one, mainly because he loved the Father. He just loved spending time with the Father. Number two, his relationship with the Father was so intimate, he didn't want to operate outside of the will of the Father. And number three, he knew the importance of prayer. Number four, he was demonstrating a practical life of someone walking with God. What does it look like? And number five, this is a well-established habit. Even before his ministry years began, this was a well-established habit. Number six, he is teaching us to prioritize rising early, to commune, with the Father. And number seven, he got refocused and centered on the mission, as we'll see in the text tonight. Now, I know that this is a silly comparison, and I thought about it, but I wanted to share it anyway. Like A lot of times, dudes will find it strange when they invite their friends to come hang out. They're like, come hang out with the guys, and this is what we're doing. And they're like, uh, sorry, bro, I got plans. Like, who else are you going to hang out with? 
and they find out that it's a girl. And they're like, you're turning us down for her? Like, that's whack, bro. Like, are you kidding me? Like, they don't understand it if they've never been through it, if they've never experienced it. They don't understand it because the dude has found a superior love, right? The world is blind to the allurement and the beauty of the gospel. And to why would anyone make sacrifices, especially sleep? Why would anybody make sacrifices to get up, to read a book, and to talk to God? It's folly in the eyes of the world. But true disciples of Christ love to spend time with the Father, to exalt the Son, and to live submissive to the Spirit. If Jesus knew how important it was to spend time in communion with the Father, how much more should you and I? How much more should you and I be spending time in prayer and in his word? When we attempt to live life without prayer, I don't think that there's a more prideful thing we can do. I really don't. When we attempt to do things in life without prayer, I don't think there's any more prideful thing that we can do because arrogant people rarely pray because prayer is saying, I need you. I'm desperate for you. I can't do anything without you. It's admitting that we are dependent. And it's really hard for prideful people to do. Earlier in this chapter, Jesus called his disciples to himself, right? And he said, follow me, learn from me. Learn how to enjoy a relationship with the creator. Jesus is modeling how to walk with God. John 5.30 said, Jesus is speaking, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. My judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. John 8.28, Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the father taught me. And even in the garden of Gethsemane, before his arrest in Luke twenty-two forty-six, he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. From the beginning of his ministry to the end, Jesus rose and prayed. Jesus prayed to be with the Father, to do the will of the Father, because he trusted and loved the Father. Do we? So here's some very practical things. It's not that hard. What can we learn? How can we be more like Jesus? Get up early, pray, and proclaim the gospel. It's super simple, right? Rise early, pray, proclaim the gospel. Peter was getting a lesson on how to walk with God, but he didn't know class was in session. Look at verse 36. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. They found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. Imagine Peter's shock, right? Andrew, James, and John, they're sleeping. They wake up. Somebody's knocking on the door. They're like, oh, snap, there's a ton more people here. People are clamoring at the door still, right? They're looking around the house. They're like, I know they want to see Jesus. Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus at? And when, they, when it says in this text, it says they're searching for him in the original language, it was like urgently looking for him. They were desperately looking for him. Why were they looking for him? Because they wanted to see some more miracles. People, people wanted to see more miracles, and when they found him, Peter, being the leader, in the loud mouth that he usually was, he says, hey, what are you doing here, Jesus? Why are you by yourself? You don't have time to be by yourself and pray. 
There's ministry to be done. People are seeking you out. Your attraction and popularity are growing. It's rising, Jesus. Don't you know? People want you to do what you did yesterday. Run it back. Do it again. But I think before we're too hard on Peter, maybe we should try to put ourselves in Peter's shoes and think about what he was experiencing. Right? He was a super successful fisherman, as we've already seen. Right? He, he just left a very successful business to follow Jesus, and it's been an explosive start to this new journey. He thinks he's hit the gold mine with this rabbi, right? The teachings, the healings, the exorcisms, the authority, the attention. There's a buzz in the air. But he wakes up, and Jesus isn't there. Where'd he go? Has, did he leave us? It, was that it? Was it just one day? Jesus was teaching them by example. His life is a lesson that we need to pay attention to. That's what Mark's point is. Not that what he said, it's what he did. The disciples were shocked. They're like, you don't just abandon the success, Jesus. You don't abandon the popularity. That's not how you gain an audience. That's not how you keep people following you. That's not how you plan a church. Because people are drawn to power. Don't you know that, Jesus? Yeah, he did. But Jesus was more concerned with preaching than popularity. Look at verses 38 and 39. This is how Jesus responds to them. He said, let's go to the next town that I may preach there also. That's why I came out. Wait, Jesus, you didn't come to Hill? You, you didn't come to start a healing ministry? Jesus didn't stay because he was liked he didn't stay because he, he was wanted. He didn't stay because he was popular. He didn't stay because there was a crowd. He left to spread the word. His main priority was prayer and proclaiming the gospel. In his commentary, Strauss said this, Jesus' ultimate purpose was not to heal physical disease, but to call people to repentance and submission to God's reign in their lives. Physical healing is temporary, but a right relationship with God is eternal, bringing physical and spiritual wholeness. And that's what Christ was after. Not just the physical, but spiritual wholeness. The power of Jesus' preaching came through prayer, and he knew that. And it's still true for us today. Even if you're not a preacher, we're all called to proclaim the gospel. Right? So prayer propels the, the proclamation of the gospel. It, it's what thrusts the proclamation of the gospel. Apart from prayer, we don't have power in our proclamation of the gospel. Jesus' preaching ministry was validated by the power that he showed over the supernatural and the natural. But it all started with prayer. And I think what people missed often today is the fact that prayer and preaching is spiritual warfare. It's not easy. That's why a lot of people don't do it. It's really difficult. That's why a lot of people struggle with it. Let's turn our attention to verse 40. We've already seen Jesus as a perfect example of prayer. Now let's see an imperfect example of prayer in this leper who came to Jesus, imploring him and kneeling to him. Notice that Jesus has pity. The kingdom of God is not only marked by power, but by pity because the king has compassion on people. Now, some scholars believe that verses 41 it translates not that he had compassion, but, but it says that Jesus was angry. Jesus was indignant, or, or Jesus was incensed. 
And this is not that Jesus was angry at the leper for coming up to him. It's that he was angry at the disease that's devastating his creation that he sees this man. Basically, it's saying that Jesus had a deep-down, gut-level reaction to this leper coming up to him. He sees the effects of the fallen world on his creation, those who are created in his image, and what it's doing to them. So whether it's translated as anger or pity, we know Jesus had compassion, right? Because Matthew 9, 36 says when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, for they were like sheep without a shepherd. But we know here that Jesus showed pity on the leper because he reached out and touched him. And before that, this is crazy. If you get this scene in your mind, right, a leper was not even supposed to be around people who were well. Lepers had to run around saying, unclean, unclean, and people had to stay away from them. They had to cover up. They had to be isolated away from everybody else. So if you can imagine, this is not like the scene where the woman who was bleeding comes up to Jesus amongst a crowd and touches him and she's healed. This is like everybody's like, oh, leper, get away, get away. And can you imagine like everybody moving away and the only person staying there is Jesus? And the leper comes up to Jesus and Jesus doesn't run away. Jesus isn't scared. And the leper says, if you will, you can make me clean. Is he not demonstrating faith, a humble faith? And, and Jesus stands there, and he doesn't even speak to him and say, be clean. He reaches out, he touches him, and he says, I will be clean. Right? Think about this scene. It's hard for us to wrap our brains around this. According to the law and social customs, no lepers were to go anywhere amongst the general public, right? Because if you know anything about Hansen's disease, which is what we know about it today, this is a horrific disease. And anybody who had this disease was ostracized. They were social outcasts. They had to stay away because they didn't know if it was contagious or not. They thought it was extremely contagious. You even look at a person, you get it, right? So lepers were not only physically sick with this horrible disease. They had consequences kind of like skin deterioration, body parts falling off, numbness, blindness. They were considered not only physically ill, but ceremonially unclean. So there was no cure in the ancient world for leprosy. They live isolated, covered up, wasting away. So the fact that this leper comes to Jesus amongst other people is breaking every law, every code of conduct that you could break. But he's exercising faith. And I never noticed before I started studying this that verse 40 is about prayer. The leper is praying. He's showing faith and courage coming up to Jesus. Spurgeon said, if, if we cannot pray a prayer that is full of faith, we should pray one that at least some faith is in. If we cannot go as far as some do, we should go as far as we can. Pretty simple. The leper wasn't the only one breaking social norms that day. Jesus was himself breaking social norms and breaking laws by staying there. His response to the leper was shocking, never before seen. 
he demonstrates that he not only proclaims the gospel, but he is the gospel. Jesus himself is the good news. R.C. Sproul shared an excellent illustration showing that Jesus was demonstrating the fact that he is Lord of the ceremonial law, that he has the authority to set it aside for his redemptive purposes. And he gives this illustration, and we all can relate to this. You've, you've experienced that, I guarantee you. You come up in your vehicle to a traffic accident, right? You see the accident has happened. There's already personnel on the scene. There's police officers directing traffic. There's a stop stoplight. It's red. What do we do at red lights? We stop. But if the officer is on the scene and he waves you through, you'll even go outside the boundary lines of where you're supposed to normally drive because the officer's presence supersedes the law because he represents the law. Right? This is shocking. Just as God brought the world into existence by his word, by the divine imperative, so Christ exercised that divine imperative in the case of this leper. I love how R.C. Sproul said it. The clean one touches the unclean and transfers his purity to this man, making him not only well, but whole. Notice that Mark uses his favorite word, immediately. Jesus said, be clean, touches him, and immediately this man is healed. Leprosy, gone. Not a trace, restored to full health and restored to community. In verses 34, uh, 43 and 44, Jesus gives this healed man some very clear instructions. Jesus sternly charged him, sent him away, and said, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now, Brody mentioned this last week, but in his commentary, Danny Aiken gives seven reasons why Jesus concealed his messiahship during his ministry. I'm going to include those in an email this week. We don't have time to go into all of it. Right? But Jesus was clearly not trying to draw attention to himself. He wasn't trying to take anything away from the Pharisees. He wasn't trying to take their place. Right? Jesus told them not to tell anybody that Jesus had actually done the healing, but to go follow the law of Moses. Jesus instructs the leper, follow the law. Leviticus 13, if you want to go read that, it's pretty gross talks all about leprosy and all the laws around it. 14 talks about instructions for how they're supposed to respond if they are healed. And Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, to fulfill it. That's why he points them to it, to obey it. Jesus says, no, don't say anything to anyone, which is the same command I found it interesting, the same command that he gave to the unclean spirit earlier in this chapter. Don't say anything to anyone. Close your mouth. You remember the unclean spirit? The demon obeyed? What does this man do? Look at verse 45. He went out and began to whisper and tell his friends? No. He went out and talked freely, openly about it to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer enter a town. Right? So while this dude was a good example for us when it comes to humble prayer, He's a terrible example for us when it comes to obedience. He does the exact opposite of what Jesus just told him to do. Jesus tells the man, be quiet. 
Don't tell anybody who healed you. Right? This dude is deliberately disobedient. He looks in the eyes of his healer, and he's so thankful. He's so in shock. He's so in awe, and I can't really blame him. I'd probably do the same thing. Right? You run outside, and you're healed. You're going to tell everybody. This is crazy. But notice that his, his disobedience has immediate consequences. Jesus can no longer enter into a town and teach. His disobedience had immediate consequences on Jesus' ministry, much like our disobedience today hinders the proclamation of the gospel. The irony in this whole thing is astonishing, right? Jesus told him to not speak about, about all that Jesus had done for him, while Jesus tells us to speak about all that he has done for us, and we be quiet. Jesus tells us to pray, and we fall asleep. We're lazy. We're prideful. We don't pray like we should. So the leper is a positive example and a negative example for us. Now, we don't have leprosy. We don't have the skin problem that this guy had. But we do have a sin problem, which is much worse and has much deeper consequences. Warren Worsby says this, when you read the tests for leprosy in Leviticus 13, you can see how the disease is a picture of sin. Like sin, leprosy is deeper than the skin. It spreads, it defiles, it isolates, it renders things fit only for the fire. Anyone who has never trusted the Savior is spiritually in worse shape than this man was physically. We can't get too mad at the leper for being healed and immediately disobeying because we've done the exact same thing. And in talking with Allie this morning about this text, it's, it's like shocking at first that the leper disobeys. How in the world can you look at Jesus in the eyes, the man who just healed you, and go do the opposite of what he tell, sternly charged him not to do, right? We're like, dude, what in the world are you thinking? And then we're like, oh, um, we have the whole counsel of God's word. We see what God's been doing in all of human history. The leper had no clue that Jesus was going to lay down his life on the cross, that Jesus was going to be buried, and that Jesus was going to rise up early in three days. He had no clue about any of that. But we do. Jesus tells us to go do these things. Jesus tells us how to think, how to live, what to do, what not to do. And what do we do? We shouldn't be quick to point the finger at the leper. So what can we learn from him? Right? I think what we can learn is how unclean people can approach the clean one. How can the unclean approach the clean one? And this is what I think we can learn specifically about prayer. Number one, we need to come to Jesus. Come to Jesus desperately and courageously, just like the leper did. And number two, plead to Jesus. Call out to him. Beg in your prayers. Number three, bow to Jesus. This is how the man came before him, falling on his knees, expressing reverence and honoring him. And Jesus' compassion for the unclean extends beyond the skin to the sin disease. 
Jesus exhibits how he came to bring wholeness and holiness to people. As I was studying this this week, the Lord brought to my mind a very old rock song that I started meditating on. I don't know why he does it. I don't know why my brain works this way, okay? But back in 1999, uh, no, 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 1995, sorry. Back in 1995, a little band called DC Talk wrote a song called In the Light. And in it, here's one section. The disease of self runs through my blood like a cancer fatal to my soul. Every attempt on my behalf has failed to bring this sickness under control. Tell me, what's going on inside of me? I despise my own behavior. This only serves to confirm my suspicions that I'm still a man in need of a savior. Aren't we all? Aren't we all in need of a savior? One who would have pity on us and take our place? Dying on the cross, rising victoriously out of the grave, defeating the power of sin and death forever. And is that not exactly what Jesus did? He died, he was buried, and he got up from the bed of death. He rose early. The same phrase that Mark used in chapter 1, verse 34, in that first chapter, he uses in the last chapter to reference Jesus' resurrection. Mark 16, he rose early on the first day of the week and he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, someone who was unclean that he made clean. This fact is also recorded in John, John 20, verse one. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Jesus rose early while in the flesh on this earth to spend quality, intimate time with the Father to set for us an example. Jesus rose early from the grave as well, the first to rise from the dead of his own power because he has authority over all. And it doesn't tell us this in the text explicitly, but I believe we can infer this from Jesus' life and from the pattern of how he lived that the first thing he did when he rose from the bed of death was to pray and talk to his father and thank him for getting him through the mission. And I pray that we would be amazed at the power and the pity of this king and of this leper in the story, that we would be humble like him, that we would plead like him, that Jesus wants us to. He's alive. He wants us to come to him. He wants us to plead. He wants us to bow down to him. I pray that we would, as followers of Jesus today, as a church body, that Red Oak, we would be a people who prioritize prayer, that we would be a people who proclaim the gospel well, And that it wouldn't be our proclamation of the gospel that would draw people to Jesus. It would be the power of prayer and not us bringing people to Jesus. Because he hasn't told us to be quiet, but he's told us to go and spread the good news that he's alive and he wants to reach out and touch the unclean and make them whole and clean. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your word. We praise you for all of the little details that you have given to us. 
God, I thank you for how Mark recorded this gospel and how he powerfully demonstrates to us your actions, Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would be more like you, that we would not love the things of this world so much, that we would not love our sleep so much, although we need it. Lord, that we would exercise some self-discipline, that we would rise early to spend time with you, to commune with you, because we love you. We want to hear from you. We want, we want to know you more. We want to love you more. We want to see you more clearly. God, we want to obey you more faithfully. I pray that we would be like the leper in how he approached you, Jesus. But I pray that we would not be like him in his disobedience. Help us to see, help us to obey, and help us to share what you want us to share and when you want us to share it. In Jesus' name I pray.